when the cloud stands still. <laughs> so we spoke about when the cloud moves, what do we do when the cloud moves, I'll give a bit of context for those of you who weren't there. But tonight I want to speak about the cloud standing still and what it means for us when the cloud stands still. So, how long was it that I preached that message? How long ago? Maybe two months, three months? Yeah. About two, three months ago in March, preached a message about the Israelites in the desert. And it's this beautiful picture that we see if we open up the book of Exodus, that as God led the Israelites out of the desert, and he took them through the sea, which is a picture of baptism, Egypt was a picture of the world, and Moses was a picture of Jesus that would come out and save his people from the world, take them through the baptisms of water, of the sea, and he would take them to the promised land, which is heaven. So there's so much prophetic picture um, in, in, the, in the book of Exodus. It's really actually a beautiful book. Even the blood of the Lamb that was put on the doorposts of the people of God, and they would say, just like when the blood of the Lamb covers us today, we are saved. And we go out of the world and we go towards the promised land. We go towards heaven. But God wasn't finished with his people. He didn't just take them out of the world and place them directly into heaven. That's not how it works for us as Christians. Amen? The moment you get saved, God is not done with you. He's actually just starting with you. Because if, if it was otherwise, it would be so easy. If you lead someone to Jesus, you should just kill them right there. Because what if they sin? <laughs> Said I'm not prophetic. 
I'm a little bit prophetic, maybe, but it's like a little bit. I'm not super prophetic. I'll admit, like, I can hear God, that's, that's fine. But I know that to supplement my, in inverted commas, weaknesses, I, I know that I need to get prophetic people around me. Because you know that we can so easily build the church through our own good ideas. It's really easy. God gives you natural talent, natural gifting, and you can build the church on, on gifting, actually. But that's not going to be a church that lasts. And more than that, it's not going to be a church that's pleasing to God. And so I've learned that actually in order to build a church that God, God wants, because this is His church, it's not my church. It's not Andrew's church, it's not Josh Chen's church, it's not 412's church, it's God's church. He is supposed to be at the head of this church. And if He's at the head of this church, then we need to hear what He wants for this church. And so I know that sometimes it's a little bit difficult for me to hear what He wants. I, I, I struggle. So I had a few people around just praying. I asked a few people, don't you want to pray? And just say me what you feel God is saying for the church. And there was a couple of words that lined up, but I'm going to use Martha specifically because the imagery fits in exactly with what we preached about a while ago. And Martha shared a word with me that she feels like for a long season in the church, the cloud has been moving. And we've been going forward and God has been doing so many miraculous things and it's been an amazing season. But actually God is now at a place where in His church, in Sunny Spear, and maybe even further, He wants to stand still. The cloud is going to stop. And we need to stop. And as we stop, we need to work where we are. I'll explain that in a moment. But the, the last two and a half years for Spanish year has been, yeah, it's been a miraculous moving season. It's been, it's been a wild ride. I've struggled to hold on. <laughs> God has been doing so many things. We, we honestly, and, and listen guys, I'm not speaking about the growth because it's something to be proud of. You can be a big church and a very unhealthy church. Big, big is not good always, really. Big is not always good. But God has been adding so many people to us, and I'm like, where the heck are these people coming from? Not to you sitting I'm like, where did you come from? <laughs> Who sent you here? <laughs> and, and it's been angry people. It's been like people coming and really wanting to pour their lives into the church, and pour their lives into Jesus. It's, it's been amazing. God has added leaders to us. He's added, just, he's added quality people to us. And many of you sitting here have been the fruit of that. God has been moving. We haven't put ads out saying, come to Josh here. We haven't done that. It's not like we've, we've been going for church growth. We haven't been going for church growth. And I don't think you should ever build for church growth. We've just been building for like, God, what are you doing? We've just been trying to seek God. And as we've been trying to stay, stay in step with God, the church has grown. We started with 40 people, four communities. We went through COVID. I got disciplined in the church. I had to step out of leadership. We got twins, we were out for an, another couple of months that we struggled to leave. Um, we had things in our eldership team. It's just like there have been so many wild things happening. And amidst all of those things, I can say that it wasn't because of us, but it's been because of God. And He's done done wonderful things. I think not to over exaggerate, we've probably in the last two and a half years baptized 50 or 60 people, I think. Yeah, you can, you can give God a round of applause. We, we've, um, I think we are close to, because for me, Sunday attendance is, is just one part of the church. 
That's not, if you want to tell me how big your church is, I don't think Sunday attendance is the best way to know. I think it's, it's probably like who's really living this thing out, who's in community as well. That's, that's a big one for me, one of the big indicators. But we probably have about 300 people in communities in the church at the moment. People have, have said, I don't want to just come on a Sunday, I want to be more involved in that. That's a miracle for me. Almost every single Sunday, and I'm telling you, 90, 80 or 90% of the Sundays, there have been people who put up their hands to say, I want to be saved, or I want to recommit my life to God. Guys, that doesn't happen anywhere. There are churches closing at the moment. The churches that, that have to close their doors, they can't make it. And, and I honestly stand before you, truth be told, I like, feel emotional in my heart standing here, saying it, it hasn't really been because of my leadership. It hasn't been because of, of, of strength and our strength and because we've got a good venue or anything of that. Like, we, we, like we're not the best with those things. Like, we're not always the best with our sound and our worship and our AV is normally broken and, and all of those things. Like, we're not the best with those things. And we were even worse. We're quite good now. We, like, we were shocking when we started. We were shocking. Like, we don't have it all together. We're not sick. We don't have the smoke machine. And our musicians are not the best always. What should we focus on? Where should we go? And we've missed it. Obviously, we've missed it. And I'm not saying as an eldership team, we've always hit it. But I think mostly we've hit it. And we've followed God. And we've tried. And we've handled ourselves. And as we followed God, the, the cloud and God, it's been an amazing season of growth and expansion. And God doing amazing things. And so then we receive a word that says, okay, the cloud has been moving, but now God's going to stand still. I don't know if the growth's going to stop, but to some extent, like I, I don't, I don't, I, I don't mind if we grow. I enjoy it. I enjoy change and all of those things. I love it. So this is a challenging word for me, actually. Okay, God, you, you stand still. The clouds stopping. What the heck does that mean? I have a sneaky suspicion we might not stop growing. Might slow down a little bit, which is good because then we can build in DNA and we can build in depth rather than just in work which is great because I don't want a church that is lukewarm. Then you count me out, I'd rather leave. You guys can have church on your own. <laughs> That's not what we want. We want to grow death as well. But like, I was challenged by this, saying, God, what, what does this actually mean? What does it mean that the cloud is standing still? And I'll maybe share a couple of other words. I'm going to go into detail of what I actually believe God is doing in this season. But there was a couple of other words that came through. I'll maybe share one or two of them. Um, the one word that Bernadette sent through was that uh, a picture, the picture of, of stairs. And if you climb the stairs, you've sort of got your point A and point B, and you just sort of you're going through it because you just want to get to point B, and it's good. And you'll sort of ignore it. You keep walking up the stairs. You'll ignore if there's a squeak on one of the stairs. It doesn't bother you because you just want to get to the top of the stairs. But she felt it was amazing. Four or five people felt basically the same thing, just with other words. God is saying it's actually a season now where we need to look at the sweet. So just stop and look at the sweet. Martha shared another word where she, um, she felt like for a long season, if you want to build, if you want to dig a hole, you first mark out where you want to dig a hole. And then you start digging. 
And she said the last season has been God marking out where we are as a church. He's been, he's been doing a lot to mark out, but God is saying, okay, now stop, now dig. Now dig where you are. So what do we do with this? Because it's obviously God speaking, but now we need to leave. So God gives us a word, but then he expects of us to do something about it. Then I was just in my quiet time about a week or two ago. I started reading uh, Ezekiel, which is, anyone ever read, read Ezekiel like It's a weird book. <laughs> the guy, for more than a year, God tells him to lie, to, to be on his left side, and then cook his food over cow dung, basically. And then God says, okay, now on your right side, you need to be there for 200 and something days. You can only be on your right side. That's intense, man. Imagine the cramps that you get from, from being like that. It's, it's this interesting book. And it's a bit of a harsh book. We see a side of God that we don't normally, we're not too fond of. Because it's, it's a stricter side of God. God is, is calling his people out because they've been living for idols. And they haven't been serving God like they're supposed to serve him. And God steps in and he brings judgment upon his people. Then I got to Ezekiel 11. And I felt that God was speaking to me, and actually God started showing me what it is that He wants to do in the church. And I'm going to read it to you, and I'll just give a bit of context as we go through. So, it starts in Ezekiel 11, verse 16 to 19. You can put that up. And now this is God speaking to Ezekiel, and He says, Therefore say, thus says the Lord God, Though I remove them from far off among the nations, and though I scatter them among the countries, yet I have been sanctuary to them for a while in the countries where they have gone. Just want to stop there. You must follow me here. Okay. Try and follow me. I'm going to try my best. But the context of this prophecy that Ezekiel is giving here is he's speaking to two tribes, the northern tribes, two of the twelve tribes of Israel. And he's basically prophesying over them and, and the context for them is they, they were in exile. There's a big word for the fact that they weren't in Jerusalem anymore, um, in Israel, but God took them and he scattered them among the nations because of their sin. He gave them over to be slaves in different countries and they lost. It's like, imagine the Stellenbosch, that Israel is Stellenbosch, and everyone here is a Christian. And then persecution hits us, and we just get scattered to different places and we're not a people anymore. And, and so it's God speaking to his people saying, you scattered to other nations, you become slave, slaves in other nations. And it's such a beautiful portion to me. As I read it, I thought, you've got this is this feels to me like what you've been doing in study being actually. I, I feel like um, for a long season, you know God is really into healthy church. And there are many churches. I mean, I, 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 we must, we by far, we far from a perfect church, but we are at least striving to be a healthy church. That's our heart. We want to follow the Bible as best as we can. We really want to do that. But as I read this, I thought, your God, isn't that, isn't that amazing? Our God says that, that where people have been scattered, where they've been in these desolate places, God has been refuge to them for a while. It says exactly, God has been a sanctuary to them for a while. And I thought, isn't that incredible, God? I know that there are so many people who have been in other churches for so long, who have been in the, the world, maybe, they haven't been in churches. And actually, that should have killed them, because they were in an unhealthy place. They were in the deserts, in a sense. But you were a sanctuary to them for a while. 
You even went to people who were in the world and somehow you kept them by your grace. Because you always made for them to be in our church, but somehow by your grace you kept these people. Some people sat in churches that were extremely unhealthy, or they weren't plugged in like they should have been, but somehow, God, you were so faithful, you kept these people. But then God goes on and he says, I don't leave it there. I'm not just going to care for them out there, but I'm going to bring them closer. And then he says, therefore say, thus says the Lord God, I will gather you from the peoples and bring them back and assemble you out of the countries where you have been scattered. And I will give you the land of Israel. And when they come there, they will remove from it all its detestable things and all its abominations. And this is the promise, if you do that. And I will give them one heart and a new spirit I will put within them. I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh and give them a heart of flesh. I'm going to try and simplify that just to make, to let it make sense. God said, I was a place of refuge for you, my people, when you were out there. But now what I'm going to do is I'm going to bring you close again. And I really feel like for Sandy's being, that's in, in a sense what God has been doing. He's been bringing people that were without a home, he's brought them to have a home. People who didn't have a family, he's brought them close to have a family. Miraculously, he's done that. He says, I guess I was with you there, but I'm bringing you closer. But then what does God expect of us as we come? I feel like this is what God wants us to do as a church. The first thing we do is, God says that as I bring my people together again, first thing God to do is, they will remove from the land all its detestable things and all its abominations. God is saying we were in the world too long. We were without healthy church too long. Now as we come in, the first thing that God wants of us is, Make sure that you remove the detestable things. So I feel like God wants to deal with sin in us, actually. And that's never a nice thought. Those of you who have been here for a while know that like, I get to deal with sin in front of all of you. And it's, it's horrible dealing with sin. It's one of those things that when someone preaches about it, you always start feeling huffed inside and you're like, oh, I just want to leave, I don't want to be here anymore. It's not nice. Are they going to call me to come to the front? I'm not going to do that. It's not what I'm going to do. But I really feel like God has us in a season where He says, stand still. Don't just go on. Don't just pretend that everything has always been okay. Stop and stand still and deal with the things in your life that needs to be dealt with. Deal with the things that need to be dealt with. And God started doing it. Again, it's, it's not by our work. These words came out. I'm not going to necessarily mention names yet, but I want to tell you a, a couple of things that happened in the last while with people close to me. So there's, there's a couple. We, we're good friends with them. But we just felt like this happened last week. We just felt like there was a bit of a, a rift, and we couldn't, we couldn't really figure it out. And we had them over for supper, and we spent time with this couple, and we, we just started speaking to them and, and digging a little bit and saying, and something just doesn't feel right. We don't, know, we don't know what it is, but something in this relationship doesn't just doesn't feel right. And we're supposed to serve on leadership together. And after a long time of speaking, it came out that about, I think, a year and a half or two years ago, I did something really stupid, which I normally do. Those of you who heard my jokes, I, I do stupid things <laughs> sometimes. And this person tried to address me on it, and I can't remember the situation. It was so long ago. But I pushed back too strongly and I didn't receive the correction. Now that's wrong. 
And it, from that person's vantage point, I totally get how they can feel the way they feel. Because as the leader of this church, I should not be above being rebuked. Actually, if any of you see something in my life that is not according to the Bible, you should have the freedom to come to me and to say, Leonard, you're missing in this area. The pastor is not the man of God. The, I'm not a pastor, I'm Leonard, <laughs> you know? But I'm not the man of God. I'm not, I'm not above those things. I should be in a place where I receive correction. And if I don't see it, then I, I should be in a place where I call the leaders around me and say, Please, I'm not seeing this speak into my life. Do you see it in me? And then I should change it. If it's not godly, then I should change those things. So anyway, this came out. And it was a beautiful evening. We were able to speak about it. And I was able to apologize and say, listen, I can't remember everything that happened there, but I was wrong. And I apologize for it. And the person said that they apologize for the fact that we haven't spoken about it. And we were able to reconcile. You know what happened in that moment? It's, it's actually a couple that's on our trip with us. In that moment, uh, the big part of the conversation was I said, you know, God blesses unity. And if our eldership team is not in unity, and it's, it's not like we, we don't get along, we we friends, we hang out, we have meetings, there isn't a bad, like, it's going well. But somewhere deep in there, there was something that God did not want there. And if there's not unity on the eldership team, there's not going to be unity among the leaders, there's not going to be unity in the church. God cannot bless this church. So God miraculously steps in through a supper that we have together, through just speaking about it and trying to figure out when he comes, and he brings reconciliation between us. Isn't that beautiful? We were able to work through it. And I'm like, I was tired after that evening. I said to God, I don't want to speak about it. That was difficult for me. I know God has to do it. But going through difficult times, it's not easy. It's not easy hearing that you did something stupid a year and a half ago and it caused a schism. Not a schism, but it caused a rip. Anyway, but then that next day, I said to Kata, okay, while we're on it, I think God is doing something here. There's another eldership couple, and in our meetings, and listen, our meetings are robust. We discuss the church, we pray together, we laugh together. Uh, I don't want to say we fight together, but we like, it's robust. We have a lot of things to discuss, and there's a lot of personalities on our team that need to work together, but it's our God destiny. Because God, God doesn't want a church of, of leaners. That's, he doesn't want such an attractive church. He just wants. <laughs> <laughs> no, but he doesn't want a church of leaners. He wants. He, every church should be led by. The plurality of elders, actually. We should be in a team. And we need different leaders, actually. We need it. That's why in your communities, you need different people. That's how God shapes you. Anyway, so there's one of the other couples, and I said to Kyle, like, oh, in the meetings, there were one or two comments that they made. That actually, I, I felt like I should just leave it, but actually, it's bugging me a little bit. I feel like there's something in my heart. And it's not big. You hear what I'm saying? It's not big. It's not like we're not getting along. But it's little things. And as we started discussing it, another massive issue came out. Oh God! Oh God! Another thing, and me again, me. My wife doesn't do anything wrong. It's me again. <laughs> they tried to bring the issue to me, and as they brought the issue to me, uh, it, it, it's complicated. But I didn't listen the way that I was supposed to listen, and and my leadership was challenged again. And oh man, I'm like. 
And then I'm sitting in a meeting in a, in a meeting in Cape Town this week, and it's a bunch of the, the big, the, the older leaders in Josh Shane. I'm a little intimidated. I'm just sitting there to learn, basically. And as it comes out, Andrew is speaking about a couple of the people, and he gets to me, and he says, Leonard, I heard that you that you're not leading your team as well as you should be. <laughs> and he says, don't qualify here, and I'm just mentioning it because I want you to succeed. Get that thing sorted. I'm like, you know, it's easy to point fingers. How did Andrew find out? about this? I know we Andrew heard about this.
So I, I have a responsibility. I have those conversations with people. Repentance for me would not only be saying sorry. I need to now go before God, get before God and say, God, help me, change me. I need to change my actions. That's repentance. Then God says, Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. There's an invitation for us. God wants to come and wants to deal with things in our lives. So what about you? What is it that he's dealing with in your life? Now sometimes this is difficult to know, but it's, you know, the best way for me to figure it out is to follow the emotions. <laughs> follow the emotions. You know like uh, uh, one of those hound dogs? If you want a hound dog to find something, you give him a sniff, and then you'll find it. And, and he'll go, he'll, he'll, he has such a scent that he'll follow that thing until he finds it. He just needs one sniff of the thing that he needs to find. For you, I want to say most probably the area that God wants to work on you, if you want to go find it, unless it's big sin, right? Unless it's like the obvious things, it's, it's pornography, it's, it's whatever, sneaking around, the things that I mentioned, then, and, so, and, and you know, then that's fine. But for those of you who don't know, the only ones in here, I'm joking. <laughs> those of you who are not sure, where it might be just an area, a way of doing things, a past hurting that you haven't dealt with properly, properly, the way that God is going to do that is probably going to show you by your emotions. What do I mean by that? I'll, I'll give you another story out of my life just because that's the easiest. I, it's the easiest way for me to, to tell you. Um, I've shared this a couple of times, but I used to be a very jealous person. Not only jealous for our PCs, but I used, to, <laughs> I used to be like extremely jealous and extremely competitive in a bad way. I would compare myself to people, and I wasn't aware of it actually. Like now and then, these emotions would pop up. These emotions of jealousy would, would pop up. But then I got to, I started studying, and I made friends, and I, there's just this ugly jealousy that started arising in me, to the point that I had a group of friends, and then at some stage I was like their bestie. And then they got a new bestie. <laughs> Another, I was in my second year, and the first year came in, and, and they just loved this guy, and I would spend a lot of time with him. And there was this place where a couple of my friends would live. I stayed in a room, and it was on the second story. And if you looked out the window, there was a place where a couple of people stayed called the White House. It was a White House. And so they looked at there, so I could see them and hear them and know when the door opens up. I would normally go visit there. I'd spend so much time there. Then they got this new friend. And he would just go all the time. And as he's in there, I would just hear the laughing out of the White House. And I'm sitting in my bed trying to spend time with God, and this jealousy arises in me. And it was, guys, it was like incredibly difficult. Jealousy sounds like such a stupid thing. But it was incredibly difficult for me. And I, I had this inner conflict that I knew it wasn't right, but I had, I had no clue what to do with it. And I didn't know where it came from. It wasn't like it was my fault. I didn't choose for the jealousy to be there. But it was there. It was overwhelmingly there. And I remember going to God so many times when I felt the jealousy. There was this little baby room at the Bible school where I studied. And I'd go into the baby room and I'd do what babies do. i just go cry. I would just sit before God and cry. I would take out my journal and I would journal and I would cry. And I was confused and angry. And, and it, was, it was an incredibly difficult season for me. 
And I remember crying this, and I'm God, this is not my fault, it's so unfair. I didn't, I didn't do anything wrong for this to be in me, but it's there. And I can't get rid of it. And at some point, I thought, I'm going to have to make peace with this. It's going to be part of my life for the rest of my life. And God challenged me. He said, no, keep on dealing with it. Keep on coming to me. And I would walk to the White House to go and spend time there. And I'd hear the laughing. And these emotions would rise up in me. And I'd just make a turn, 90 degree turn, go into the baby room and go sit and cry. <laughs> and I'd sit before God hours and hours at the end. And I'd read my Bible and I'd pray and I'd weep. And I'd just say, God, take this from me. Take it from me. But even if you don't take it from me, God, please let me honor you even in this process. And slowly but surely, the beautiful thing is God started taking it away from me. And he showed me where it came from. He was faithful to even show me that it came from my past. The fact that I grew up without a dad, the fact that I'm an only child, I never learned how to share the attention with anyone. But I didn't know that. But God was faithful to show me I could deal with those things. But it was the emotion that showed me there was something ugly in me. It was emotion. So you need to look at your life. Is there anger that pops up unnecessarily? Is there jealousy that pops up unnecessarily? Is there striving and competition that pops up unnecessarily? Is there uh, a, a low self-image that pops up unnecessarily? It's just there. And you feel like you just have to make peace with it because it's who you are. Listen, it's not who you are. God hasn't created you for that to be who you are. And further than that, I mean, those are the inner things. But I feel like God wants to take it even further. And I feel like I'm speaking prophetically here. But relationships, and God wants to come and redeem relationships. If your relationships with your parents are not the way that they should be, you cannot leave it. You cannot leave it. This is a season that I believe God's grace is there to say, deal with it. Deal with it. If you need to write a letter, write a letter. If you need to repent, repent. If you need to speak about things that's bugging you, speak about those things. With your siblings, you cannot just leave it. You cannot just say, I will never get along, so that's fine. You have to go and you have to sort things out. God wants to deal with the detestable things in us because we are representatives of Jesus. We cannot have the ground in us. Is it all? <laughs> it's a hard message, I know. But I really believe that that's what God wants to do. You know, Judas, he had a crack in him. And it showed by the fact that he denied Jesus. But here's the interesting thing. Jesus, Judas spent a lot of time with God. Spending time with God did not fix the crack in him. Because he didn't deal with the crack. He was in God's presence a lot. <laughs> He was in the presence of Jesus a lot, but he didn't deal with the crack in him, and that crack cracked in him. Actually, we can't leave these things. We can't leave these things. We're going to end with this. Um, it's, it's this quote that I thought of a lot while preparing for, for tonight. I must say, I, I tried to prepare, but I was like, God, I'm not 100% sure I have to put this together. I just know you're doing something. Um, but there's this quote that says the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. And that just kept popping up with me and I really felt like there are some of us that have been doing the same thing over and over again and we just think somewhere it's going to change. Somewhere the relationship is just going to get better. 
suddenly the jealousy or the anger is just going to depart from you. It will just go away. That's not the truth. That is the definition of insanity. You're just doing the same thing over and over again and you're expecting a different results. You need to do something different. If your relationships are not good, do something different. If your emotions are all over the show, do something different. If you're struggling with pornography and you've repented before God a hundred times and you still keep falling there, do something different. If you're messing up with your girlfriend or your boyfriend and you've tried, do something different. If you're confused about your sexuality but you've, you've tried, you've tried, do something different. Speak up, bring those things into the light. Get people to help you. If you don't know what to do, which is probably why you're not doing it, because you should have done it if you knew what to do, then get leaders, get all the people around you and say, this is what I have. Please help me, guide me through this. Do not be insane. Don't just let the same thing happen over and over again. It's not going to work. Martha, you want to share something? It's an amen from my side, but I'm going to say No, this is something... This is cool, because um, a while back, um, well, it was recently with the prophetic, um, with the prophetic ministry time, one of the ladies gave a, con- a word to the whole congregation in Leviticus. I still think about that. I put two and two together, and it's pretty cool. But <laughs> the, word, the word was from Leviticus, and for context, Leviticus is after the Exodus. Right away, Exodus ends. It's the Israelites have pitched tents. They set up a tabernacle, and um, after Moses has received like the blueprints and stuff from God, and they finally settled, right? Then the whole book of Leviticus is God giving them laws and institutes and telling them how they should do things and whatever. It's super cool. But anyway, this lady gave us a word that said from Leviticus 19, um, and it reads, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy, for I am. The Lord your God, I'm holy. Every one of you shall revere his mother and his father, and you shall keep my Sabbaths. I'm I, the Lord your God. I am the Lord your God. Do not turn idols and make yourselves any gods of metal. I am the Lord your God. Now stop there, but what she basically said to us as a word for the whole congregation in the season is you have to be holy as God is holy. We're being called into a season of holiness. And I listened to something from the Bible Project that I thought was really cool. They said, God's holy, we're not. There's nothing in us that will inherently cause a holiness. But we get holy by actually drawing near and becoming more proximate to God. The whole setup of the tent and stuff was that the Israelites could come in and they could have God's presence come dwell with them. And hence the holiness that they were receiving was actually the proximity to God, right? So even for us in the sun, as we pitch tent and we're sitting here. The idea is we're being told God's coming to you. Don't run away, like draw in, draw near to God. Let him touch you, let him come heal. Because the holiness that we're being called to, we're not gonna conjure that ourselves, like let's not run out of here and be like, okay, I'm gonna fix up my house and get ready so that when God comes, it's like, okay, check, you have everything. Actually, the holiness you're gonna receive is by drawing near to God. You have to let him come do the work. 